Hello and welcome to the Doom Podcast. Oh wait, no, that's that's a bit of a spoiler. This is the Branching Path <laughs> Podcast, guys. Um, I'm your normal not metal voice host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my fellow not metal voice host, John. How you doing, John? It's the wrong voice, Kyle. Halloween's over. Halloween is as long as you want it to be. Is this a character? I'm good. I'm good. Let's get in. I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> you're like, you're like, please fucking stop. Please fucking stop. That's just your normal voice. I'm just answering it normally. <laughs> he talks like this all the time. All the time. We're going to get into some some uh, deeper shit today, guys. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one today. We have some fairly kind of high level broad societal things to discuss i hope you guys find them interesting we'll try and relate it to video games as much as possible and then we have some kind of salacious gossipy news which we just thought was worth highlighting and touching on and, and kind of wanted to react to so we'll, we'll talk a bit about those two big topics soon um we won't spend too long talking about what we've been playing today since i think these topics are going to take us plenty of time anyways and we'll maybe save these more for our next purely video game focused episode but john what have you been playing lately so I played through a good portion of Inscription. Um, and it was your favorite game ever? <laughs> ultimately, it did not do it for me. But uh, at least in Act 1, I had a really good time. Nice. So we'll get I, into I, that more next time. But. Yeah, I like Act 1 to me is still this. Like that, that's the strongest part of that game. And that's what I wanted more of, was more of that card game with him in the cabin. But Yeah, go, going in com- almost completely blind, that's what I thought the whole game was. Well, yeah, so did I. <laughs> So yeah, and then so when, when it changed, I mean, obviously it's, it makes sense why that wasn't advertised, but when it changed, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, card mechanics are really good. For, I, I still had a good time. It just ultimately wasn't what I wanted. Um, did you did you watch any, like, did you end up just spoiling it for yourself and watching any lore videos out of curiosity? Nope, not yet. Okay. Um, you wanted me to watch the Matt Pat videos, and I'm yeah, yeah. gonna make a point of doing that soon. But I think I th- let me watch them again before you do, and I'll make sure that that would make sense if you haven't like played them. If he does a decent enough recap of it all, but yeah, I, th- sure. I think I think that'd be a good option. Cool. Um, aside from that, I played Signalis, and I adored that game. I had such a great time with it, and I can't wait to get into that next time. But if you're on the fence about it, uh, play it. I thought it was really good. Dope. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to make a point of trying that before we talk about it next time so I can not just react but also have some opinions. Um, I have uh, I've been playing God of War Ragnarok. It came out. Um, I was very, I've been very excited for it for a while. I'll, admittedly, my hype wasn't like crazy. I was trying to think back to my most recent big hype moment, and that would have been Elden Ring, and this came nowhere near as close as my excitement for Elden Ring. Uh, but I was still very excited, and it's been uh, pretty good so far. Um, I think that's as much as I'm going to say for now. It's like it's it's very competent. It really is kind of just more of God of War 2018, which I'm fine with, obviously with with some additions. But you know, it's not reinventing the wheel here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been competent and good, and I really hope that they can deliver a lasting story by the end of it because as of yet i haven't quite gotten that that same level of satisfaction i got from the first one i'm about 10 hours in so anyways it's okay. been it's, it's been very good I, if you like the first one obviously I, I at this point would still recommend this this sequel but yeah i'll have lots more to say about that next time i've also been Sweet. playing or i was playing a fair bit of uh chrono trigger i was playing the japanese cart because i have a, a super famicom 
in the Japanese card of Chrono Trigger because it's actually somewhat affordable compared to the North American <laughs> version of that card. <laughs> right. And I've been using that as a language learning tool kind of on and off for a while. And that, it, it's, I don't know, I just, that, that game makes me feel so good and comfortable and happy. I just love that world of Chrono Trigger. It, it brings me nothing but joy, and, and I just have tons of nostalgia. But it, it's all, I also do think it holds up very well. I know that you, you revisited it not too long ago and kind of weren't as grabbed by it, but I, I do just really like that game. I think it came down to I just know it so damn well at this point. Yeah, fair, fair um, enough. When you've played yeah, I, I was Darks, still yeah. able... It says a lot that I was still able to have a good time at all when I know everything about the game. <laughs> yeah, true um, enough. Yeah, I, I can't expect it to... to capture me on like the 20th playthrough <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense um i also uh i i had a, a b-day recently and uh a friend of mine got me two more japanese carts he got me dragon quest 6 and um he got me uh ogre battle on the super nintendo uh, march for the black queen i think is what it's called in north america but uh with like the box and everything great quality they're really cool they both work so yeah i got lots more japanese games to play sweet yeah. Um, anyways, why don't we uh, introduce our first topic, John? I think I kind of like you to do a bit of our summarizing for our first topic of discussion, which is going to be about artificial intelligence and art. So the kind of AI-generated art that's that's really starting to pick up steam um, on the interwebs these days. And we've got a bit of background to talk about. We're going to talk about implications, issues with it, and then our kind of reactions to the you know recent issues and then also just our opinions on kind of is it good or is it bad or is it somewhere in between all right let's get into it um this came out of nowhere for me this isn't a space i keep up with really um i've been learning how to do 3d art but i'm not really keeping up with the art world much i'm just googling how to do things (laughs) Hmm. um so i started seeing articles about um artist reactions to the new crop of like ai art generators and i do follow a lot of artists on twitter and the uh, which is a dumpster fire of its own right now <laughs> we, won't, we won't go into <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll steer clear of that big story today i'm gonna bring that up later for for one reason because it sure. does it, it it compounds the negatives here a little bit. okay yeah sounds good i think i have an idea where you're going with that but yeah sounds good um <coughs> excuse me so yeah, I don't follow this a lot, but what I see um, of like artist opinions on this kind of thing is it's not positive. So I thought we'd cover what it is, first of all, and why artists don't like it and what are the potential problems here. So first of all, it's powered by machine learning. There's a few different like AI art generation platforms right now, but the, the gist of it is math and algorithms use giant piles of data that include image data, um, text prompts, all that stuff. It ties data to keywords so that you can type in keywords and generate some, some quote-unquote new piece of data. Um, and there's different learning models to try and reach that point, the point of generating the thing you're asking for or, or entering prompts for. But you could probably say that the goal for this ultimately is that you want the machine to intuit the way we do when there are no clear definite answers so if you enter these text prompts you want it to kind of um, do a little guesswork and fill in the blanks to create an image that matches as close as possible to what you're describing without a programmer having to go in there and manually account for every possible scenario right right 
So to get there, you let these machines train on as much data as you can provide. And this is where a lot of those ethical concerns come from, which we'll come back to in a second. And, and this kind of tech is extremely cool from a tech perspective, but there's difficult problems you have to wrestle with immediately. And for one, it's very easy to provide legally and morally shady data, especially in a world where you can buy shit from data brokers really easily. Um, I think it was proven that there's like private medical data included in these data sets already. Mm. Um, and copyrighted material is all over the place when it shouldn't be so it's already off to a pretty shaky start <laughs> it's it's been shown that if the machines train on data that demonstrates a bias the machine learns that bias too right which is all kinds of creepy <laughs> um, it's really difficult to remove problematic data and the effects it has um, after the fact after the machine has already trained on it and how you would have to do that um, involves retraining the model, which can cost millions of dollars, which no company is going to pay willingly. Mm. Uh, unless yeah, it unless they're made huge, to pay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, unless it becomes a huge issue and it's going to affect their their business, I guess, otherwise. Yeah. Um, now, bringing this back to AI art, there's nothing stopping this data from being an image or a sound or a video. And we're going to talk specifically about image generators today. But... The way a learner, a generator, would process image data is different, and what's meaningful about image data is different, but ultimately you're still just taking this gigantic pile of image information and turning it into something these generators can use to make decisions. In this case, it's tied to those prompts. You can, you can type in fantasy castle, and it's going to generate a variety of fantasy castles for you, right? Yep. The more specific you get, the closer you get to the thing you're actually looking for. Um, and importantly here, that learner, that generator is able to tie those observations to keywords. That's how this stuff is created. Um, so they generally operate the same way. The user enters a text prompt. The generator responds by, responds by mapping those keywords to data, making a bunch of choices until it can spit out an image that might satisfy what you asked for. Now we should talk a bit about why, why that's this an issue. is not an issue and the direction we need to head for utopia and perfect actualized oneness with the world. Um, you sound like everyone who loves this. <laughs> uh, like, let, so let's, let's very quickly, we can both appreciate that right. this is extremely fucking cool. Oh, yeah. Right? And... I so somebody I work with is is actually he he subscribed to Midjourney one of the one of the ones that's blowing up right now that's one of the AI names okay and he's been using it religiously arguably too much um, Mike this is a, a shout out to you my friend um, and he <laughs> but he's been using it for his D and D campaign and I I'll be honest I have a trouble seeing how that's really hurting anybody because he was never going to pay an artist to make you know personalized stuff for his D&D campaign but for a reasonably cheap subscription he can just kind of generate these images that help give flavor to his world and to his characters and stuff like that sure um which is cool and again it feels kind of harmless to me so that's one instance where it's really neat he's been able to just make that whole campaign a lot more immersive for his players and that's that's cool to see but let's yeah let's you were just alluding to 
why it isn't the utopia we're hoping for. Why why might this be a bit of a problem on the surface? Well, first I want to I just want to agree with what you said there. It's not really a problem in that context. Like right. your your friend when we share artwork, we're not like I'll check out this amazing artist on Instagram. It's more like no, here's a cool image I found and let's use it for our D&D thing or something, right? Right. That kind of use case makes sense, and that hasn't really changed anything other than you can generate a more unique image now instead of just copy and paste, right? Right. Um, Where it gets shady is um, as we get a little further into it. So, I mean, the, the main problem, the problems all stem from how the data is obtained, first of all. Like... At the absolute core of the AI art generation is this huge pile of artwork from all over the world. It's used as seed data to train these generators. I almost said seed data. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And a great deal of that art is used without the permission of the artists. Now, for your friend's D&D campaign, that doesn't matter. But when it comes to like posting this art and claiming it's your own which people love to steal artwork online yeah that's already a huge problem (laughs) yeah so it's just it just exacerbates an existing problem and makes it a lot worse um and and i say express permission well i didn't say express but i meant to say without the express permission of the artists and i say that because burying a line about uh, giving away the rights to your art in some terms of service or privacy policy is kind of a shitty practice, assuming it's even mentioned in there. Yeah. And, um, and it should be I even more saw, transparent than that. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably talk about deviant art at some point, but they had We're like going to get multi- into that too. Yeah, yeah, they had multiple levels of burying it because like, it might seem like you were opting out, but then there was another way of... Anyways, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to come back to deviant art in a second. But cool. um, another complicated part of this and actually this is a good time to to bring up deviantart is if the generator trains on your artwork and later on some opt-out process comes in and this is where we can talk about deviantart deviantart launched their dream up generator which i think uses the um what is it called i forget the name of it it's not mid-journey not mid-journey it's um that's the only one i know <laughs> there's like three of them and i for the life of me can't recall the third one right now but one of the larger ones dream up uses that as i understand it um and it sounds like it's already been trained on basically the entire pool of deviant art image data this was before they offered the ability to opt your artwork out hmm. um and i was watching the town hall on ai art from the concept art association and they bring up the the idea of machine unlearning which is kind of uh, a young field of study relating to this now or i guess tangential to this Um, that's really interesting but the the problem with this is it's not easy if not really possible right now to get these machines to forget something that could be so deep in the layers of like learning it had to go through to generate this data right Mm. so if someone opts their artwork out and this thing is like i don't know foundational or just really early on in the learning process there's no there's no guarantee you can get the machine to forget your artwork's contribution to the final thing um and 
if you can't do that, the only solution is to retrain. And like we said before, it's expensive to train to begin with, especially when some of these things have, I think one of them has like 650 million images in its database. Yeah, which is just an incomprehensibly large number. But so it's, the, it's the, the, the message is basically, <laughs> you know, you put something on the internet, there's a great chance some AI is going to scrape it at some point. Whether or not you opted out of being used, it's probably too late. <laughs> Man, if we, we if we started getting into like how cookies track you and how easy it is to have your data collected, it'd be a whole other conversation. But yeah. <laughs> this is your artwork is scraped and like cataloged whether you want it to be or not just yep. by virtue of having it hosted online. Right. And these things use that to feed their algorithm to be able to generate this stuff. And the issue with something like DeviantArt's new generator is the process of opting out is really convoluted. You weren't informed that your stuff would be used for this in the first place. And they say in their own policy that, there's no guarantee opting out will have an effect. Yeah. Like they, if you opt out, there's, they can't stop a third party from scraping your data anyway and yeah. using it for a different generator. So the I hate to, I hate this term, I guess. I see it a lot right now, but it's kind of like it feels like the genie's out of the bottle here, and it's not. This kind of thing isn't really going away. Yeah, and we're going to be waiting for the law to catch up to this for a while. Yeah, I think so. Well, like with every fucking new technology, though, right? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. And, uh, yeah, it's very good. And I was going to say, a lot of these data sets are built without nearly enough attention paid to what kind of data is getting in and yeah. whether or not they're allowed to use that data. Like I said before, it's already been proven that there's copyrighted materials in here. Hmm. The reason that's an issue is you can prompt this thing to generate images in the style of something you like. And that style of something you like could be um, based on copyrighted material. In that town hall meeting, they demonstrated that by recreating the Bloodborne cover. Oh, really? And it, you could you could do that and claim it's your artwork that is basically just ripping off the Bloodborne cover, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the ethics of using artwork you don't own to generate new artwork, if you can call it that, um, like derived from that data it the ethics of that are like really messy the generator owners already profit on these generations so before the ethics of this were really considered a lot of money is already changing hands mm -hmm. because they charge for generations um when you join one of these things like you said there's a subscription fee you get some free generations before you're paying per generation correct uh, if you're subscribed, I think it's more like you get a certain number of fast generations and then you're stuck on the slow so slow ones or whatever. Okay. That might just be Midjourney's model. But I think I think even Midjourney, you get a certain number of free ones without a subscription and then you have to pay. Right. Like per month. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're, you're already paying for this or you already have the option to pay for this. Plus, like um, that, that's not even talking about, you know, that's just like the the plebeian access to these artificial intelligences i'm sure that they have or are going to have some crazy multi-million billion trillion dollar deals with bigger companies to use their ai for something else right like or at the very uh, if not the ai the uh data they've collected right right because the real value comes from the data which is bought and sold all the time yeah um so it, it, there's other questions here like 
I'm not, I'm not an art expert by any means, but some of the questions that came up in the town hall, for example, um, or just comments I saw online is how do you even define art if it doesn't involve like the human element of, of like the training and, and the, the time consuming creation of this thing, can it even be called that? And the machine isn't really generating this unique thing, um, with its own like skill i guess it's it's tearing apart millions of images to learn how to stick them together in new arrangements right is what is what it really comes down to so how you even define art is a question here um is it considered art if no user skill is involved like you can refine your prompts but we can't pretend for a moment that that's equal to the time and effort it took to become an artist that anyone gives a shit about yeah okay um, it's already easy to claim that you made something by hand when it was actually generated, and this kind of thing is already being used in in shady ways. I think someone used it to win an art contest. Yeah, I think they did that as in part to prove something. Like, if I remember reading that story, they they did it like with the intention of eventually letting everybody know that it was AI generated. Although I think they waited long enough that you know they got the prize money, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. i need to look up that story more um but, but yeah it's not hard to to see where some of these issues are coming from and the artists are frustrated because it's already really easy to have your art stolen or misrepresented online artists there's the whole meme about how you do things for exposure or <laughs> you know someone asks for some new piece of artwork and they're like you should be happy i'm even asking you to make this yeah, like, yeah. instead of me paying for this hard-earned skill <laughs> so there's already like some what's the word i'm looking for and i guess tension in the art community over things like that and this just this doesn't help and the reason i talked about twitter a little bit before was twitter now it seems to be slowly going down in flames i wonder we why get far I into why. that i wonder why that is does the world's but, smartest man think anyways yeah. <laughs> uh it's running now on like millions of linked teslas <laughs> <laughs> this is why he made tesla in the first place to <laughs> power twitter, twitter. Yeah. um so i mean it was it's a great place to share art i follow a lot of artists so i couldn't I can look at how they do their stuff and a lot of them are now worried about where they're going to share their stuff because DeviantArt, they're not liking the policy here with AI. Um, Twitter, like I said, going down in flames. Um, I think ArtStation also allows AI art generation now too. Or they have some policy on the collection of your art for data sets that no one's really happy with. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of concern over this so let, yeah let me let me start by saying um just so people know our biases i guess because easy to assume everybody agrees with this with this line of thinking but probably not the case but my line of thinking i think you'd agree john artists are already a hugely undervalued class of people right some artists get lucky exceedingly lucky and make it big you know, some of that's right place, right time. Some of that really is just their one in a million as far as what they can do with whatever their medium is. But to develop skills in any sort of art form, be it visual or musical or whatever, 
takes an incredible amount of time and training. Like, if you think about how long it takes to become a medical doctor, for example, it's really four years of, of intense schooling, right? But after that, you have the license, you collect the paycheck, you do the job. Right. Um, admittedly, you get better over your practice. You know, I'm sure you refine your ability to doctor. Uh, you write those good, good prescriptions even gooder. But the the level of kind of artistic ability that's required to do that professionally, that can take like dozens of years to really get to a point where you can, you know, sell that kind of thing. Like it's it's a crazy amount of time and effort to become a good industry standard artist in any field and seeing them undervalued all the time is just so frustrating and I don't know how they don't all just throw up their hands and say fuck it no more art for humanity because we can't even appreciate <laughs> this thing that you know was until very recently and we'll get into this this unique human thing right not to mention so many of us on a daily basis are this our lives are enriched untold amounts through the you know the media we consume which is in its it, it's art right it, it's all art in some form um so that's yeah i mean little, the shows you watch the games you play yeah, they all have everything. to be built from some kind of some vision some yeah. concept you know writing including writing in that including visual art including music including you know programming to some degree you know you got to design systems that takes some sort of invention and ingenuity anyways sure so i i've always just been totally baffled as to why some people are so quick to dismiss art as this thing we should all just get for free um i think there's sometimes like a resentment of skill or pro yeah, probably or like knowledge you know, or, or like a resentment of experts Oh, okay. Don't I guess John, I would phrase that. Don't open but. that can of worms. I have big opinions on resentment <laughs> of experts. That's like, if you ever want, there's a whole book on this called "The Death of Expertise" by a guy named Tom Nichols. But yeah, it's just that in in this postmodern world we've been in for a couple decades, trust in expertise has absolutely gone down. Everybody with an internet connection thinks that they're an expert in a topic in ten minutes. Right? It doesn't take long people to convince themselves they know everything they need to know about this huge body of of work whatever it is right so yeah sure. you're, you're probably right john there's, there's there's probably an aspect of like people don't like to be locked out of this art community thing they feel like they have a right to to all the things those artists create and yeah there's probably like a jealousy aspect to it so artists are you know last last thing you know starving artist that's a term for like it's a term for a reason there are plenty of artists out there who grind away and bust their ass for for not a whole lot because it's a hard industry to make a living in and is often thankless and you know you get those messages where people are like you should be grateful i'm even asking you to to work for me <laughs> um yeah so just that that's where i'm coming from and i guess listeners should probably know that's kind of how i feel about art in general i i think that they are deserving of your your money if you're going to ask them to do things they deserve your money yeah agreed and and competition in that world is fierce so when someone makes it and can support themselves and this is the new uh, phase of the bullshit in their career they have to deal with it's it's just not ideal right <laughs> um okay so that's one now on the 
Okay, kind of sorry. I did, I sidetracked myself a little bit there. I, I want to bring that back for one second, please, because in relating this to video games, you know that that town hall I was watching is from the Concept Art Association, concept artists who produce static images to help you, to help businesses, you know, um, pursue that vision. You know, watching your your favorite show or playing God of War, concept artists they they help generate this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and the sense I got from watching these things and reading the comments on these town halls is a lot of people are worried about where this is, where their career um, will go with the availability of something like this. And if you look at what these things can generate, they're pretty, they're pretty damn good sometimes. Yeah, well, for um, sure, especially especially if it's something like concept art, where, say, somebody wants really just a rough idea or something to kind of give them a starting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, these these are actually pretty powerful tools for that. Um, yeah, and with the stories we see all the time about companies like massive profits, but laying off a huge chunk of their workforce, like the game industry itself is kind of shit a lot of the time. Um, at least the stories reported to us makes it seem that way. Um, and being able to let go of artists because this is cheaper, it it that doesn't feel out of the realm of possibility no and and when we get to the part two of this podcast we'll talk about how that's clearly something that they would jump at you know given the first (laughs) opportunity um i i want to say something about the worried about their careers piece because i think that through human history and through the last two centuries with the crazy explosion in technology there have been plenty of professions who have said i'm worried about x new technology because of its effect on my um, you know, career, whatever I do for a living. And a lot of the times it's kind of just like, well, too bad, so sad. This is better for society. You know, we don't have to have horses pulling plows anymore. We can do that with machines. So the person selling horses for to farmers, you know, they lose their job. But none of us really, I think, loses any sleep over that change. Sure. And, and, and I don't think that we need to. Like, that's you know, I don't think inevitably, that, or I don't think that's inherently a bad advancement. And there are lots of examples of that. I'm having trouble coming up with more than someone selling horses, apparently. But um, I think it's different in this realm because I think what people expected with AI and robots um, was that that would come for the blue collar jobs first, right? Like, and there was concern there because we've ha- we've got to find jobs for those people because everybody knows if you don't have a job you are not a worthwhile human being um (laughs) that's the world we live in unfortunately but so there was concern there you know it was going to be like factory workers fast food workers stuff like that right you know cashiers all that those were the people who should have been quaking in their boots about losing their jobs to to ai and automation and what's happened instead is now ai is coming for the fucking art world like before it's really had its way with the blue collar workers, which I'm sure is still coming and has happened to some degree already. But I, I just think most people did not expect that the artists were the ones who were going to have to be quaking in their boots for the future of their profession. All right. Um, and I also think that there's we're lo- we, we will lose something fundamental to like what makes us human and what gives us humanity if we cede the ground of artistry and human expression 
to fucking AI. And, you know, we're, we're talking right now static images, which will probably be more of a, a thing for concept artists to worry about. But there are right. already AI programs that are developing video, full 3D video using text prompts. Um, music is being made by AI. Again, these are fairly in their infancy. Excuse me. But they will just get better. This is how technology and AI works, right? Machine learning, it just gets better at an exponential rate. They grow really fast. And the profit incentive is is this, right? No company is going to fool themselves for a second thinking they should pay a bunch of artists to write their music and, and make their art when they could just be like every other company in the space they're in, pay whatever the crazy fee is to access the AI data sets and AI algorithm that this big super mega corporation has and just use that to develop their their media whatever it is right movies shows books right. all that shit like there's ai uh writer like writing um ai now too right for the writing anything you know it can be stories it can be didactic shit but it's coming for every piece of human expression and artistry that there is and we we consume media because media is profitable Right, like most people make media not for free, but but because they hope that they'll be able to make some sort of living with it. Again, because right. of the the world we live in, but that's fine. Um, but when when profit is involved, or where profit's concerned, how the fuck are you ever gonna compete with with profitability being in the hands of AI generated content? And we're looking at a future here where it's getting so good that all it takes is a couple people with some decent ideas to put a couple prompts in and the machine learning will make a new IP that is of the quality of a human-generated work of, of art that we would all enjoy as much and have no idea wasn't made by a human being. It starts to sound like a Black Mirror episode at this point um, because now companies could also get to the point where like we don't even know as consumers if what we're consuming had real human intention behind it at all, right? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So if the AI is good enough to make complete stories, for example, I don't know. There's something just fundamentally wrong to me. It makes me feel icky, and I know that's not the most compelling <laughs> argument ever, but it makes me feel icky to think I could live in a world where every story i consume came not from the mind of a fellow sapien but from some fucking machine algorithm somewhere that we've trained to pump out projects that maximize profits for companies and i don't even think we can begin to fathom what the repercussions of that might be like what what kind of stagnation that would that would give to the kind of stories we get Fucking, we already get the same shit over and over again with people behind behind these works, right? Like with the Marvel Cinematic Universe pumping up the same fucking movie every ten times a year. Like that's oh, already yeah, they, find, they find a formula and they write. That's, that's what I'm saying. We're already prone to that, right? So now if you have these risk averse companies just having a machine do it for them. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. One last thing. This is my again. This is me getting really, really existential and worrying about the future to a degree that's maybe too much and not healthy, but. I was I was imagining I was imagining a world, and this would actually make for a great story. So, if there's any machine listening to this, you should consider pumping out a script here. But imagine Podcast living in, scraper <laughs> living in a world where AI is so good at predicting what you, the individual, like 
and knowing what you like because you know at this point it has access to all of your data and everything you fucking do from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed that it just spits out personalized fiction for you and only you i don't think that that's that outrageous to think about as a possibility because as soon as artificial intelligence is involved and exponential growth is involved i don't see this being totally unheard of and if that happens if we get to a point where everybody has their own stories we don't even fucking share media anymore i think that that would have really bad implications for like the societal fabric um do i sound completely crazy right now (laughs) <laughs> not completely crazy no what a what a ridiculous world that would be but I, I can see why you would you would go in that direction like the amount of data collected about us day to day is already insane it's already tailoring what you experience in through ads and through you're constantly being sold to so it, it's not hard to imagine that the data collected which is extremely nuanced at times, um, would be used to spin up something like this. I, I think. Imagine an ad made just for you to lure you into buying. Like, um, what am I trying to get at? But you're talking about like personalized media. How I think it might come about instead would be a personalized ad, right? To to get at whatever would make you buy this thing they're trying to sell you. Right. Right. Yeah. Which. Um, which I think people already we don't I don't think we give enough credence to the idea that we probably buy shit all the time because we saw an ad and didn't really think about it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the subconscious thing. Like companies wouldn't be spending billions of advertising dollars if it didn't work, right? Exactly, and it's pervasive now. Yeah, it, it's you, you cannot fucking escape it. You are advertised to all the time, and whatever advertising is. Yeah, we well, no, no. I think it's worth talking about because, like you said, personalized, like really, truly, an AI generating an ad that targets you specifically based on your fears and your loves and you know the things that have happened to you in your life. That's fucking gross. Because yeah, we we, we already our our brains are hijacked by like looking at a fucking screen and just clicking on Twitter links. Like that, it, it doesn't have to be super personalized for us to already lose ourselves to these things, right? Like these uh, social media companies designing things for us to, to kind of get sucked in and get stuck in there. And now imagine that when it, it really truly is tailored to your every individual nuance. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's scary stuff. I, I feel like we, we lose more and more autonomy the further we rush headlong into these new technologies without considering for a second uh, what the consequences might be. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really broad, deep conversation. Um, and that's not what branching path pods really. This about, is a but. this is a philosophical. <laughs> I couldn't even say the word philosophical podcast now, guys. And soon will be a political podcast. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I want to I want to bring it back to AI art for one second. Please, please um, do. Just my my main concern, like we said at the top of this, that from a tech perspective, this is really interesting, but it's all built on shady ethics. Um, and my my main gripe here right now is not that we had there's this new thing out there that can make images it's that it can only do that by collecting and using data that for a large percentage it doesn't have the rights to do right that with and that's why artists are pissed it's it's not that this thing was introduced it's that it was introduced in such a shitty way yeah such a dishonest way 
Yeah, for sure. This this is, yeah. You, I, I like the way you said that, John, because I agree. It's it's not that. I don't think there's any avoiding this, right? Like th this this technology was on the cusp and it was going to happen. There was no way it wasn't going to happen. Somebody out there was going to make this a reality, but it didn't have to be a reality in its current form, right? Yeah, and there's something. There's a conversation to be had about what you just said, which was. Um, should they have released this? Like, you can. There's there's a whole other conversation to happen there. But um, the way we privately develop and and fund and launch things like this, it, it, you're you're going to get a version of this from a team that didn't consider that. Oh yeah. So it's sure. it's not this this huge umbrella of considerations that affects how any of these would have come out. It's it's private parties with the money to collect this data decided to do it this way and yeah. and the consequences be damned <laughs> yeah and it's tough because i i think the only way to balance the possible you know big fallout from stuff like this is some sort of like regulation right which means governments which means fucking slow <laughs> right? <laughs> right like regulation and government is inevitably slow as fuck and often it's octogenarians who don't understand the tech, as you've said many times, John, who are, who are trying to legislate this stuff. And tech just fucking moves faster and faster every day. So I don't know. I wonder how we really actually get a handle on making sure that when these new technologies, which have crazy potential, come out, they don't come out in the shittiest fucking ways possible. We're always waiting for a lot of catch up to tech. Yeah, always, um, always. This this won't be any different. This isn't any different. This is already here, and we're already having problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I think that's enough doom and gloom there. Why don't yeah, we yeah. go to the next one? So just uh, in the comments down below on this YouTube video podcast. I'm just kidding. This is just a podcast. There is nowhere to comment. You go to the Reddit. Nobody goes to the Reddit. Go to the Reddit. Our, our only comment there is about your slip-up. <laughs> From someone I know. Um, Which is hilarious. Yeah, so go to the Reddit. Uh, Reddit.com slash r slash branching path podcast. Um, oh, hold on. I'm actually... Sorry. This is embarrassing, but... Did you forget what our Reddit was called? I feel like it might be branch path pod. No, no, it is r slash branching path podcast. I've double checked that now. Um, That's thorough. Leave a leave a comment and tell us what you think about AI art and the implications for uh, human prospering and uh, joy. Please get get also, existential. Would definitely recommend you check out more sources like watch the town hall, watch descending it, whatever. Get different perspectives because. I certainly didn't do the best job explaining it, but it's it's a big topic worth exploring. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, ultimately, you should just take your opinions from us, just word for word, and not really do a whole lot of thinking. Uh, so I actually dis I disagree with John completely there. But let us generate your thoughts today, okay? <laughs> yeah, we will be your AI. Okay, um, so let's move on to some news. I won't make us do the news theme song today. Um, this that is too fit today. Yeah, it's, uh... it's, it's, <laughs> that's too serious. It, it, it kind of goes to, it, it sort of goes with some of what we talked about with AI art, especially with like corporate interests and and how they treat artists, especially in the video game world. But uh, the composer for Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal, Mick Gordon, uh, beloved among metalheads everywhere as like a, a real 
true like metal um, musician. Uh, there's a great joke that Doom 2016 is a, a metal album that just happens to come with a free video game. Uh, anyways, he's he's well beloved, well known. He's he's worked a lot in the video game industry with music, and he's worked with Bethesda and their subsidiaries. I think on six projects total, including Doom Eternal. Um, he worked on Doom Eternal starting in 2018, I think. No, yeah, 2018. It came out in 2020, and he was contracted to do the music for that project. Um, at the end, so when that game was released. Uh, I think before release, they announced that there was going to be a special edition that came with a official soundtrack that was edited and, and produced by Mick Gordon. Um, there was issues in the delivery of that soundtrack in a timely manner. Um, and then when the soundtrack came out, a bunch of songs on it had like pretty shoddy editing and, and fans picked up on that and kind of noticed it wasn't very good. And Mick kind of got you know a little bit of flame for that because he was thought to be the one responsible and then at one point i think in 2019 i don't know this was but in 2020 sorry um marty stratton he was was he like the executive project manager or something of the game he, he was really high up he was project manager of some kind for doom eternal he was he, high, pretty high up in management yeah. yeah he he did a reddit post basically saying Mick Gordon was difficult to work with and the reason that the OST couldn't be completed on time. Um, in, in a few words, it's a pretty long post. You should go read it. It's on Reddit. It's easy to find from Marty Stratton. If you just type like Mick Gordon Reddit, you'll find it. Um, so that was two fucking years ago, okay? So Mick Gordon, big name in the video game music community, um, who's a contractor, right? He works on contract for these companies when he's writing music for them. Kind of got his name dragged through the mud, and he didn't really say much about it. He did make a comment when somebody was complaining about some of the mixing of the OST tracks that he didn't mix some of them, um, which kind of raised some eyebrows. Like, what the fuck? Why wouldn't Mick have edited and produced his own music? That's strange. But right. I think it kind of got left there. Um, so two years later, this is last week now, uh, Mick Gordon, the, the artist, the composer, writes this 58-minute read medium post outlining <laughs> why Marty Stratton, the manager, had completely lied about the whole thing and he wanted to kind of give his side as to what the fuck happened. So I'm going to try not to go too much in the weeds here. I'll, I'll, give, I'll do my best to kind of give details that are important and, and give a sense of what kind of, you know, working conditions Mick was under, but... So Mick was contracted to do the music for Doom Eternal. He was late in getting that contract, and he couldn't begin working until he got the contract. So already he said he kind of started behind the wire. Um, the way the contract was written, he was to produce two levels worth of music every month. So not two songs, two whole levels worth of music every month, which is quite a lot of music. Um, and I think in total, they they allocate when they're when they're contracting out these these um, musicians. At the composers, they allocate a certain number of music minutes that they think they're going to need for the game. And that's kind of how these composers get paid, by, by music minute. So whenever <laughs> he delivers product at the end of that month, it kind of goes towards him meeting his music minutes goal. Um, and then when he reaches his goal, or when he reaches his goal, rather, he has finished his contract and met the requirements, and then he gets you know paid and everything's fine. Um, so... As he's, as he's given the contract, he's starting late. Doom Eternal is in a bit of development hell, and 
maybe that's too strong of a word, but they, they were behind schedule, to say the least, and they didn't really have much to show him, so they didn't have a good sense even of what kind of the final overall vision of the game was going to be yet. Nick said that the, the game really changed a lot from when he started writing music to when it came out. Or when as it was, game projects do. Yeah, as they do, right? Because when you just start something, you can't really see it until you start putting some shit down in, in code and whatnot, but... So he was writing music kind of blind for a while. So he had like concept art he was writing based on or some super, you know, barely blocked out levels and stuff like that. Really not writing based on much. And he said it was really hard and he could tell that the people who were approving the music were having trouble feeling confident in his submissions because they also didn't really know what the music was meant to be accompanied by, right? Right. And he, he, so Mick right away was like, shit, this is going to be a problem. Um, I'm ready. I'm busting my ass here. And if these songs get rejected, it's still incumbent on me to write music that they're happy with to meet that minute requirement. So he said, okay, he messaged management and said, can we do a bit of a schedule rework? I will have no problem meeting the minute requirement laid out in the contract. But I think that we need to kind of change the whole two levels worth a month because it's not working right now. I don't have enough to work off of. And you're not confident in the stuff I'm giving you because you also don't know what it's supposed to be accompanied by. Management shit all over him. And this is kind of a theme throughout his entire dealings with them, especially Marty Stratton, that anytime Mick would propose some sort of like change to so that he could write better music for their, you know, huge many million dollar game project and, and hopefully have fans be happy with it, they would just shit all over him and gaslight him and say that he was doing the bad job, he was the problem just you know write more music better and faster and everything will be fine um so at the end of the day i'll get back to the ost in a second but at the end of the day he ended up writing twice as much music as he was contracted for so he wrote like you know it was 146 minutes with just over two hours of music he gave them almost five hours of music total um but they were only allowed to use two and a half hours of that because that's what he was contracted for right but what would happen was he'd hand in a song they'd deny it so now it was next month he still had to meet the two levels worth of music deadline plus all the music that just got rejected he had to do and finish in that month so that they could you know hopefully accept it this time so working can like it sounds like he fucking killed himself for this project for two years because because of the terrible schedule and how it made no sense for him to be writing music for scenes that didn't exist yet um, so anyways, by the end of it, he'd written fucking double the music, but that, he wasn't, you know, he was, I think, upset about the whole thing, and, and he got treated poorly by management the whole time, but it was done, whatever, he was happy with the music he came up with in the end, I think, but, so, where it gets really gross, oh, also, they didn't pay him for 11 months at one point, because they kept rejecting his music and saying it wasn't good enough, and they said they wouldn't pay him until he kind of had deliverables that they were happy with, Right. which is fucking gross. Um, fucking just so scummy so anyway there's a lot of little details in here you really should read the medium post i was livid by the end of it where it gets especially gross though is at e3 in 2019 they announced that there's going to be a special edition with the ost the official soundtrack um and mick gordon's name was all over this okay mick gordon found out about the ost at the e3 press conference from like he found it from a tweet somebody tweeted and he's like what the fuck i don't know i was doing an ost like that's a whole so something i didn't also realize but of course makes sense when you're writing songs for the video game the way that those are written 
and the way that those have to be kind of programmed into the game, I guess, is done a bit differently than how he would score and produce something for like an official soundtrack. Right. Um, so, so the production side is very, very different. Um, so a lot of work involved there. Plus, you have to pick and choose what songs are going to go on the OST. You might do some like blending of, of two themes because they work well together to make a more complete song. Anyways, lots of work to go into that. Mick didn't know that he was doing that. Well, as it turns out, Mick was wasn't doing it because so he he emailed Marty Stratton and said like, "What's the deal with the OST? Like, you know, that's not part of the contract. Are we? Are we? Do I have another contract for the OST coming up?" He did the OST for Doom 2016, so it's not like he hadn't done one of these before. And he just got ghosted. Like they basically said, "Don't fucking worry about it. We have this handled. You know, it's it's technically our our music at this point because you know we paid you for it. We'll do what we want with it." But, um, Marty was getting concerned. Sorry, Marty. Mick was getting concerned that um, because it was fairly close to launch, because I think the game was initially supposed to launch in November and, and E3s in the summer, that they weren't going to be able to finish the OST in time, um, and people weren't going to have the OST that they were promised when the game came out. This gets into some like consumer protection law shit at some point, which is you know, just crazy. It gets ridiculous. Many lawyers get involved, but by the end of it, Mick gets contracted to produce 12 songs of like a 40-something or 50-something song soundtrack. Um, he tried his best throughout that process to just have them let him do the whole thing he just needed the contract right he needed to be able to be given the the leash to do it but they wouldn't until super late and and then he he just could only do 12 songs um and their lead sound engineer um did the rest whose name i'm forgetting you can find that easily so i'm already sorry mick god damn it these fucking names mick did that (laughs) they released the ost fans said it was shitty it also came out late so it did not come out when when it was supposed to and Mick kind of got dragged through the mud there. Um, something else that's interesting that he didn't know. Um, oh, sorry. I, I forgot one thing. I think Mick thought that it was only going to be a 12-song OST. The 12 songs he produced. when it, yeah, got it was released, actually 59. 59, yeah. So he thought it was going to be the 12 songs he produced. But what they released was an OST with 59 tracks. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, I thought I was producing a 12-track OST. What's going on? So he looked at it. And Chad Mossberger, that's his name, that was the lead sound engineer uh, for the game. And he was credited, one, as an artist on all of the songs, even though he had literally nothing to do with the writing of a single piece of music for Doom Eternal. He's credited as the second, like, it, it's Mick Gordon and Chad Mossberger on all of the track artist names, which, of course, is fucking frustrating as shit. Um, but also, that OST had... Um, all of the like a bunch of the music he had worked on that wasn't used as part of the game that wasn't as part of the contract he was paid for so basically they took all that extra music and extra work he did and just put it out there and and profited on it um so at this point now again mick is the one being dragged through the mud everybody says why did he do such a shitty job on the ost he makes a comment that oh i didn't i didn't produce all the songs on the ost he has a Skype call with Marty Stratton at this point who tells him, you know, we've got to figure out how we can make this right. Fans are ticked. Why Mick trusted this guy at any point after two years of working with him already and seeing what kind of bullshit he pulled, I don't know. I feel like maybe he's a little bit to blame here for being so gullible <laughs> and letting this <laughs> fucking complete jag off, take advantage of him every fucking opportunity. But um, 
they had a Skype call. Mick thought that they were going to do something good to maybe reproduce a bunch of the songs. And then Marty released that Reddit post basically saying Mick was a piece of shit to work with and it was his fault the OST sucked. Um, so that's the background. This is this is all Mick's side of the story. He has a bunch of kind of receipts and details. And again, it's it's in-depth. The man has clearly been sitting on this for a long time. And part of that is probably... Long. Yeah, two years. Like two years he's been sitting on this, right? Part of that is probably because he waited on the advice of legal counsel and, and because he was trying to deal with ZeniMax's lawyers. ZeniMax is the parent company that owns Bethesda and, and their subsidiaries. Um, oh, I guess now it's Microsoft. Anyways, it was ZeniMax at the time um, trying to kind of get them to... So he wanted them to take down the post that Marty had put up, basically shitting on him and, and it's, you know because it hurt his reputation or hurt his professional reputation. He wanted them to take the post down... He wanted to be paid for all that um, work that he did that they didn't pay him for that they released anyways without his permission. And then he also wanted to redo the OST. What was crazy to me in these negotiations with this company was the whole time it was basically expected he was going to fix their OST problem for them at no extra benefit to him. He wasn't going to get paid to do this. And he was even okay with that. He was like, I will fucking work my ass off to make a half-decent OST for you if you'll just take the post down and pay me for the double the amount of work I did that you you know, weren't supposed to use. He was going to go fix their OST for them. But those talks broke down. Uh, they offered him a settlement. So they offered him a, a six-figure settlement to basically never be able to criticize any product of, uh, I think, Bethesda or like id Software ever again. Never talk <laughs> about what happened. Um a bunch of other things, right? Basically, the the, the hush money, the shut up, go away money, um, because they were so worried about hurting Marty Stratton's reputation. Right. Um, so, two years later, he said, fuck it. You know, clearly negotiations broke down, and he said, I have to tell my story. Huge kudos to this guy for not taking the payout and for just fucking speaking truth to power, first of all. This is a story of a independent contractor getting fucked over by the man, getting fucked over by a fucking greedy corporation, and they tried to give him, you know, six figures. That could, who knows how much that is. That could be a hundred grand. That could be hundreds of grands. Like, that's, that's a lot of money either way. He right. said, no, fuck you. I've got to tell my side of this, you fucking pieces of shit. So, big kudos to Mick. That's one of the other reasons I feel there's probably a whole bunch of truth in, in his accounting here. Um, yeah, so so that's that's kind of the story in general um any questions or things i missed or things you want to react to there john uh no i think you covered it pretty well um yeah i mean mick crunching for in his words two years straight on this thing to be backstabbed like this yeah um we're we're about a week out from his post i think let me check the date on that uh posted november 9th yeah so six days and no no response from marty no response from bethesda you know maybe they're hopefully they don't take three two or three years for their (laughs) (laughs) i imagine they're doing damage control right now and figuring out what the the best you know monetary move is to make but i'm very curious what they'll say but you know mick's account is very in-depth it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine this is some elaborate lie um he sounds like he was very professional and he got screwed because 
it sounds like Marty got his feelings hurt when his schedule was questioned and it all went from there. But yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think you covered it pretty well. Um, I wanted to say the thing that chaps my ass the most is that what, what Mick wanted was Marty's post retracted an apology issued and the rest of the fucking money he was owed. But the reasoning for not taking the post down was it would harm Marty's rep. I was like, motherfucker, like, so what? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. If, awesome. if anything, you're owed that for being a piece of shit. I was going to say, he, he he was the one who decided to make the, the you know, lying ass post in the first place. Yeah. He, like, he put himself in the position to, quote unquote, have his reputation harmed. He did not have to do that. And it's not on Mick now to give a shit. No, absolutely not. <laughs> It's uh, yeah. It's it's a very interesting read. Would definitely recommend that. And his his medium post links to the uh, Marty's Reddit post. So I suggest reading both. Yeah. Oh yeah. So if you if you go to medium.com slash at Mick Gordon, or even if you just Google Mick Gordon Medium, you'll find it really easily. It, it's a super long post, and then it, it does link to the the inciting Reddit post as well. But I don't know. I've always found the kind of behind the scenes video game production stuff super interesting. Um, there's mm. a lot of great documentaries on them. The God of War documentary is amazing. We've talked about the making of Lunar CD and how that was like always an inspiration growing up. Sure. Um, and and this was interesting, even just from that standpoint, seeing what kind of life it is to be a contracted music composer for a video game for a big AAA company. Um, it was obviously very sad. <laughs> it made me think, holy shit! Thank God I didn't go into games. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. It, it, it's it's quite the story. I, I just want there to be some sort of fucking repercussions for this, man. I can't... There's too many stories of fucking rich dudes getting away with, with murder because they're rich dudes. So, again, it, it, it takes a lot of courage. I, I think... I really think people don't realize what kind of courage it takes to stand up for yourself like this on the internet, no less, um, against a company that has untold millions to spend with their lawyers to slander you and you know what i mean like it's it's a ton of courage to make these accusations like mick did so kudos to him for speaking as i said truth to power it's it's not a, not an easy thing to do not only that this is this is after numerous graphic threats of violence and death yeah so he, he tells yeah he talks a bit about how the reddit post led to him getting you know basically doxxed and a ton of super crazy internet vitriol uh went his the way, standard right? shit you read anytime a, a gamer gets their feelings hurt it's it, it turns into this kind of nonsense yeah and, um, and it, it's i think it's also again easy to pretend like you have an idea of what that would be like right. but until you've lived in that reality of random strangers on the internet you know sending you messages in very personal avenues that you wouldn't expect them to be able to do and give very detailed descriptions of how they're going to harm you and your family. Until you've lived through that, you probably don't really have a good sense of just how taxing that is. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. It's, I, I can't it's, either. It's fucked up. It's I fucked don't up. know how you would just go about your day-to-day -day with that shit lingering in your mind all the time. So, damage was done in many, many ways. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to be like, I don't want to end this on a big socialist fuck the corporations, but... <laughs> Just remember where where their allegiances lie. If, if you're a corporation and you're a CEO, your mandate is to always grow and to always make money. And everything is 
you know, in the service of that mandate. So next time you think about picking up that AAA game, one, think about all the hard work that went into it from all the lowly grunts, um, and you know, try to remember that the art that they create is valuable and worth your your time and attention and money. And two, maybe think about picking up an indie game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. The the um, I like what you said there. The CEO's mandate is to grow, but it's also the business's mandate is to protect their public image and the people marty and mick are intimately part of this thing but the people further removed see this drama and their their goal is protect bethesda protect zanny max at all costs right right and so they throw money at the problem or or they let marty put his foot in his mouth with more email exchanges sure or this fucking reddit post but yeah like uh, yeah go buy an indie game <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then find out a week later that the creator of that was some crazy nazi sympathizer but whatever <laughs> can't win them all you can't, you can't win them you can't win any of them in fact <laughs> uh, didn't didn't we wasn't there a, uh, a news article recently about a lot of drama at the um oh, what was that game called why can't I remember this when it matters? Give me one second. I'm going to sure. pull this up right now. Because it just inter- fits, fits the theme. <laughs> I'll entertain the troops while you do that. <laughs> hey there, cats and kittens. Let's talk about the birds and the bees while John looks up anime titties. <laughs> what is that game called again? Can you give it's me like some the, clues? In, it's, a, it's supposed to be a super well-written like indie darling um, oh, I haven't, I haven't played it. But. Oh, I fucking know. Oh God, I we can't pause the about. podcast. <laughs> no, it's we get, we oh, in real time. <laughs> isometric investigation game. Yes, you know exactly. What Disco I'm Elysium. About. There it is. <laughs> I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that studio is also. There's some drama there now. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know why I brought that up, I guess, but just to say that even the smaller companies have their shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is inevitable with any business. As soon as it gets to a certain size, like man, managing a company is difficult, right? And managing that many people is hard. Uh, there's no two ways about it. So I think inevitably it just gets messy. So it's not always, and, and yeah, this, this isn't to say like every game development has to be this perfect, rosy, everybody got along and held hands and had a great time. That's just not the realities of people, but... It's it just, it was gross to see a little guy get fucking stepped on like this by the big guy. And then lied about online and, you know, reputation harmed. Just bullshit. The abuse of power, yeah. Yeah, the abuse of power. Really fucked up. Burns the soul. Yeah. All right, so that's our depressing episode That's our today. really happy <laughs> episode. Go play, like, Animal Crossing or The Sims or something. <laughs> Go. Heart or uh, Stardew Valley would be good, too. Just go cheer up. If you listen to this, sorry guys. Um, next time, hopefully, I'm hoping to have finished um, God of War by next time, um, and then we can have a maybe a bit of a, a Signalist God of War chat. I'm gonna have lots to say about Signalist. I'm assuming now it's Signalist oh, because okay. radio signals are a theme in here. So. Okay, Signalist makes sense. Um, um, yeah, I'm gonna have lots to say about that. And with any. With any luck, we'll have a little bit of first impressions of uh, Pokemon by that time, too. 
Oh. Oh, come on. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks All for right. listening. Let us know if you liked the uh, the super serious episode, guys. Leave ten comments each on the Reddit page, please. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Branching Path Podcast. Check us out on Twitter at Branch Path Pod, or just search Branching Path Podcast. Check out our subreddit at reddit.com/r/branchingpathpodcast. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on our RSS website, which is rss.com slash branchingpathpodcast. Thanks again for listening. Take care.